Hello, and welcome to Walter Fun Filter. And our guest today, Elliot Sadler from Emporia, Virginia, is going to join us. Elliot, thank you so much for coming on. I want to catch up. I want to see what my buddy's been up to. Well, man, I'm glad to be on here. And uh, as always, I love following you on social network and see what you're keeping up with. And I'll be glad to let's talk about that a little bit as well. One of my favorite people in NASCAR I've met. Man, thanks for having me on today, Michael. I'm, you, you don't know how happy it makes me to have you on. We haven't talked in a while. It's going to be fun. Guys, stay tuned. It's Walter Fun Filter right now. Well, Elliot, life seems to be much different for you than it was just a couple of three years ago. I see a lot of kids, a, a lot of baseball, a lot of fun. How are you doing, bud? Man, I'm doing great, uh, Michael. I was um, worried when I started this chapter of my life how it was going to be, right? You know, when you finally get out of the driver's seat and you've been through this and you hang your helmet up for the last time, I was wondering how I was going to be able to. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you, it's the nation's largest home services Marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. Each weekend, am I going to miss it? What can, am I going to be bored? Can I find things to do? And honestly, it ended up being the best decision I ever made, Michael. It's been so much fun spending time with my kids. And then when the COVID hit, we were all at home anyway. We really got to gather and, and, and have some time together. Uh, but have thoroughly enjoyed uh, this chapter in my life a lot. It's really cool because um, when I ran my last race in 2017, I drove my car off the track and I took it home. I put it in my garage and I'm like, I'm done with that. And it was cool because it was... It was on my terms. It was exactly the way I wanted to end it. Is that how yours ended as well? 100%. And I had talked to, you know, Dale Jarrett some, and I know I'd had some conversations with you, and I'd had some conversations with Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Kelly, who I was driving with at the time. And Dale Jr. gave me some great advice. He said, Elliot, listen, because he had just gone through the same steps. Don't look at it as retiring from something. Look at it as retiring to something else. So, honestly, that really helped me cope with it or understand it. So when I retired and I got to drive off the racetrack a year ago this past weekend, uh, Las Vegas last year, I knew I was retiring to doing stuff with my kids. Um, Mike, I was gonna spend more time with them. I was gonna be able to give back to my community. We have over 300 kids now in the Top Hand organization, which I'm a part of. 
um, which is pretty much underprivileged kids, giving them opportunity to play different sports, do different things, after school programs. So when I got out of the race car, I felt like, hmm, now I get to start my next chapter. And uh, it, it's been, I've slept good at night. It's not as much travel, it's not as much stress. Uh, but I really feel good about decision, uh, you know, that I made and uh, man, it's been working out great so far. There's a guy just walked in. He ain't really been up to much lately. I don't know. I mean, where you been? Hey, what's up? Car what's up, owner. Tyler? Car owner. What, what are you doing? Michael, did you hey. did you help him with this situation and this decision since you've been there done that? Or did you try to talk him out of it or encourage him? How did this know, come? You know, Elliot, what a race car driver's like. I, I couldn't tell him. <laughs> and I, I tried. I told him I had easily 15 million reasons that I knew of right. that he shouldn't do it. It's almost like he lost a bet on the 18th hole on a, <laughs> on a putt, <laughs> and now he's a corner. Like he didn't have enough stuff to do already, guys. Yeah, yeah. You ain't What's looking for up? a job, are you, Elliot? Huh? You ain't looking for a job, are you? No, I am not. Uh-uh. <laughs> Y'all go right ahead. Hey, I tell my uh, my buddies all the time, I'm having so much fun drinking beer on the couch, watching y'all sweat to death and running yeah. all over top of each other and mad. <laughs> I'm just drinking beer. I'm like, yep, yeah. them boys doing, you're having so much fun. They're doing good. Somebody told me, somebody asked me, he said, is Denny going to be able to focus? I said, I'm not sure, because you know what he did yesterday? He played golf. Now, oh. how could he possibly be focused? How could he possibly be focused? Actually, the rumor in the garage is, Denny, you're more focused now than you've ever been. Like, you're like the favorite to take it all home this year. That's what everybody keeps telling me. But look, I will say this uh, from all my friends and stuff around here. Congratulations. You couldn't have picked a better – look, we're all Tar Heel fans in this area. Picking Michael Jordan and having him as a, as a partner and, a, and a, a co-owner and all of that is great news and good for the sport. And I just couldn't imagine any Duke player in history making that announcement and getting anywhere near the response. People sure just would not have cared. One that's been good enough to do it, right? They're not good enough to do it, basketball or racing. So you made a great pick. We're all looking forward to it. Thanks, uh, yeah, 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 man. Great Thanks job. Thanks for stopping by. Go yeah. check out my putting green. Right. I'm putting a putting <laughs> green in the backyard. I figured, I, I was wondering if you had tried to talk him out of this or not. I you know. I, I wouldn't say I what is he thinking? I wouldn't say that I tried to talk him out of it, but I made sure that I understood all the decisions that he or all the boxes he had checked because it wasn't it was about six weeks ago we went down to to Florida to play golf with Michael and uh, we hadn't really talked a whole lot about it, but I asked Denny and this is kind of funny. I said, uh, does there does does Michael watch the NASCAR news because evidently you and him are going to be partners. And he said, yeah, he said, we, I called him and asked him if he wanted to be my partner. And he said, come on down, we'll talk about it. And that's how it started. And obviously um, I'm really happy for him because it seems when I did my team, Elliot, I, I was a Toyota guy, you know, Toyota said, we're going to, we're going to build your cars. We're going to, we're going to build your engines. All you need is decals. Um, about, Two years later, I looked around. I had 42 CNC machines that cost about 100 grand a piece. You know, right. that wasn't exactly correct. I, I had a whole lot more to, to build and to do uh, at that time than I bid off, that I thought I did. So I know the due diligence. Michael's got some smart people and Denny, obviously, around him. I know their due diligence is the reason why they were able to say, make the announcement we're going racing in 2021 with Bubba. 
because they did all their homework. And I bet right. I bet they're going to be buttoned up when they get to Daytona. Yeah, and but one thing I admired about you, Michael, is, is you know sometimes we would end up flying in the same plane together while you were putting all this together in your first year, and you were so involved from the top to the bottom. I mean, I remember watching you one night sketching what the pit signs were going to look like, like the little cartoon characters and all that. I mean, you were so involved in what was going on doing that and also the racing part. So uh, I know Denny will be – I know he's – competitive as he is, he's going to be involved in too. But, man, it's, it's only 24 hours in a day, seven days a week. It's, it's going to be – his golf – some's going to have to struggle. Now's yeah. the time to set up the bets for the golf game maybe. I got to have one more chat with him because he also he, – he, he, he just got back from Pilates and he took his kids to school this morning. How's he possibly – how does he possibly stay focused for this championship run with all that he has going on. Does, I, doesn't he know he has a race this weekend? Don't you, don't you just love it when people say that shit? You know, we get in the car. Yeah, and all like, the, I can't believe it, yeah. Yeah, so. They just don't know. They don't know. He's still standing here. You got any advice you want to give him, or just uh, you think he's all set? Just tell him everybody in Virginia is pulling for him. That's right. Love you, Alex. Yep, right. you got it, man. Right, see you. I'm going to go to work, Mike. Oh, he's going to go to work. <laughs> well, you know, it's media for David. Oh, well, stay focused. Make sure. That's what it's listed as, but we'll see where they go. With Does that mean it's probably not? We'll see where they go. With <laughs> well, make sure you stay focused and be ready to race in Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> so his media day for Vegas for the playoff race is going to be much different than everyone else's, wouldn't Just you guess? Just a little bit different. Yeah. Good, well, good for was, him, though. Good for it him. It was really fun for me to, to – to, like, I've, not, I've been watching this from a distance for a while now. And the best part was, and, and I know Michael a little bit, we've played golf before and I know he's a race fan, grew up that way. But when I, when we got down to Florida this last time, he's like, is Denny going to be able to win this championship? Is he going to be able to beat Kevin Harvick? Kevin Harvick's on fire. And you know, this time of year, Kurt Busch always comes live too. And I wouldn't count out Martin Trex Jr. He's a, t you know, and Michael is so tuned in to what yeah. goes on on the racetrack. Uh, it's, it's, it's awesome to see and to know and now taking that next step and becoming an owner, a majority owner in our sport, um, I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm think, I'm, I can't wait to see him at the racetrack. Well, I think it's great for the sport because only a couple of years ago, Michael, we were looking around at some of the age of the owners we have now. And I'm not going to mention their name out of respect, but we have some, some owners that have some age on. We're looking around going, who's going to be that next wave of guys keeping the sport going? You know, it's neat Tony Stewart and his involvement that he got, and now Denny Hamlin and Dale Jr., what he's doing on the Xfinity side. Harvick has always kind of, you know, dabbled in that kind of stuff. So it's neat to see guys invested in our sport, a little bit younger age, staying, putting in, putting in the resources, keeping it going. I think it only makes the future that much brighter, in my opinion. A hundred percent, too, and just the general, in general, the interest. He's Michael's oh, worldwide, you know. I know. I know. I've read where Lewis Hamilton – uh, read on Twitter or wrote on Twitter, welcoming Michael and Bubba to the, to the NASCAR world together. So a lot of attention, a lot of fun. Let's, let's talk about um, your, your racing. You, you said, um, you know, you, you walked away with, with a smile on your face and said, that was a good ride. Mm -hmm. And it, it started when you're about six years old. Uh, that's, that's when it all got going, right? You wanted to race a go-kart. It, it did. I was, you know, my brother raced go-karts. I had an older brother that raced. You might know a little bit about that. And I wanted to do the same things he was doing. So he racing go-karts and I was begging my dad to give me an opportunity. So I started seven years old racing go-karts. And then when I was 16 years old, Herman got the bush ride, the Virginia's for Lovers 25 car, which left his late model car wide open with the crew and everything. So I kind of got jumped into that. 
And a couple of years later, I was just at the right place at the right time to get a, you know, get a shot with Diamond Ridge Motorsports at Hickory Motor Speedway. Their car didn't make the race. I did with no sponsor. They put their sponsor on my car. We made that relationship, you know, and then in the cup racing. And after 27 years, Michael, I have no regrets. Now, some decisions I wish I would have made maybe a little bit better uh, in the race car, out of the race car, some races I wish I could have won or mistakes I've made and or things didn't go my way. But from the friendships I made, relationships I made, the, the sponsors that we met, the people that we get to meet, the, tra- the places that we get to travel, I would not change that for anything in the world. I did it 27 years. Um, I got to walk away on my own terms. And, and I think a few things happened that kind of led me to retirement. And, and I'm, I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you, I don't speak a lot about it. Um, the losing the championship at Homestead, with three laps to go with the, the deal with Ryan Priest um, really took a, a big bite out of me because I felt like I've been chasing a dream as a NASCAR champion so long and had an opportunity and, and then kind of was taken away from me. And then I think as my kids grew up and started doing their own thing, I remember sitting in my bus uh, in mid-Ohio um, the year before I retired and my kids had made it to the state playoffs for baseball and softball and all that. And I couldn't be there to see it. You know, I'd watch them play every game during the week, but when you make it to the state playoffs, all the games are on the weekends. And I remember sitting in my bus and my best friend was there with me spotting. And I'm like, dude, my heart's not in it. Like my head is here and I'm focusing on what I'm doing, but my heart is at home with my kids. And I knew then I needed to kind of turn the page and do something else. So it was a few little moments in my life that, kind of led me to retirement. And then when I made the decision and I came out and I told everybody, Michael, it was like a load off my shoulders. I was like, everybody knows where I stand. I'm going to finish strong, do the best I can. And I talked to Dale Jr. and Kelly about it and my sponsors. Everybody knew where I stood. And after I made the announcement, made the decision, honestly, um, probably one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life, to be honest with you. You know, it's funny. You remind me of a story when I decided it was time. We were uh, at Atlanta in 09. I think that was my last year. I get them all mixed up. Um, I do too. <laughs> are all your marbles okay? Because mine seem to be scrambled. Uh, my wife told me the other day, she said, you might have some deficiencies. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm glad. I've, have, I've had to self-analyze my, my problems because yeah. I don't have a wife running around here, but yeah, yeah. I I bet she would say the same about me. <laughs> but anyway, it was 09, I think it was Atlanta, and it was my last full season. And we, they throw the green flag. We go down into turn one. On the first lap, they're four wide. And I remember thinking, why is everybody in such a damn hurry? Yeah. And then I went down the back straightaway and said, I think that's what racing's about. You're supposed mm-hmm. to be in a hurry. And if you don't understand why, you probably need to find something else to do. Yeah. It's funny how that plays out, doesn't it? And I, and I got like that with restrictor plate racing, where we always ran good in junior motorsports. We always had fast cars. But those last couple of years, like at Talladega, I'm going, I felt like I was analyzing more than racing. Like, what are you idiots doing? It's lap 20. Why are you running into me? Quit pushing me, you know? I don't need all this aggravation. I don't need all this right now. Last five laps, I can hold on my breath for five laps. But not the whole race. What are y'all doing? <laughs> you know, it's funny how race car drivers operate because, you know, you talked about racing a go-kart uh, you're, like your brother when you were seven. Um, 
your brother told me that didn't go too well. I mean, you acted like it was all just a lot of fun. You're at Broadnax Racetrack, and I will. Oh, he did tell you some stuff. <laughs> and he said, I, he, he said, uh, he said, first turn, first lap was a challenge. Do you recall it the same way Hermie does? Hermie adds a little bit to it, uh, but so nobody was there in my age group. So they, let, my dad begged them to let me race in Hermie's age group. And the guy goes, all right, look, he can, but he has to start last and just ride behind them to get experience. And I was as hard-headed then probably as I am now. And I went in the first turn on the bottom. I was going to pass them all, and I hit tires and flipped and flipped all the way down the back straightaway. It did not work good. That was my first experience of, uh, of flipping and racing and not paying attention. Is that kind of the story you got as well? I, I heard that exactly. So only Hermie had you in the infield when you came back up on the track. He didn't say you were on the – he didn't say you clipped the tire. He said you cut through the infield and drove up into the middle of the field and wrecked I, everybody. I, I did. I wrecked and flipped in go-karts. You know, you run all off each other's tires because back then we didn't have the fairings and things like that. It was not a good first impression at all as far as go-kart racing. Now, I'm able to share that story with you because the end, racing for a championship, winning cup races, it turned out okay. But I got to tell you, he told me the first late model start didn't go – practice didn't go very good at all either so the first late model practice i had begged my dad please let me drive the car please let me drive the car so we went to orange county speedway on a thursday uh to practice hermie of course testing i was a pit crew member and all that so finally at the end of the day hermie's like all right daddy said i had to let you make some laps so i get in the car and i make you know i might have lasted eight or nine laps michael uh at the time and i spun off spun out off a of turn four uh, while other cars were there practicing as well. I will say I did not hit anything, but the car behind me did hit me head on and demolished and destroyed the car. So, yes, I destroyed Hermes Lake model car at Orange County my first time in a car. The first few, I appreciate you bringing this up. The first, it just shows that if you stick with it, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't quit, things can work out okay. Even if you get beat 462 times, I mean, you you, you got to stay. You got you got to keep going. Michael, if I was you, if anybody says anything about 462 or over, look at those two trophies behind you. Not many people have those yeah, to look at every day. Uh, Kirk Leon didn't whoop your ass, did he? After that, <laughs> that's exactly who it was. Uh, Kirk had the coolest hair of anybody I ever raced against. He had the cool curly mullet. He could pull it off better than anybody. Nice. He, he he did not kick my ass. That I think he felt sorry for me more more than kicking my ass. Yeah. I gotta tell you, Hermie seemed really happy that he got to call your dad and say, "Well, not only do you have to buy one new late model, you yeah. got to buy two new ones because we probably wiped out Hermie and Kurt Leon." <laughs> yeah, my dad didn't tell me till years later that he actually paid and helped Kurt Leon get his back going again. So that made me feel real. I think we got in an argument, then he kind of made me feel like this small by letting me know how much pain in the ass I was. Well, how, what a great daddy is. What a <laughs> great daddy was for not, you know, beating you down back then. He kept, he kept you inspired and motivated. Yep. because Kept me going. Was you know what's funny? That, that you, what? Was it 1995 that you won 13 races at that same racetrack? In the yeah, was at South Boston Speedway. We set all kinds of records. Me and Chris Rice, who uh, who's at college wow. racing now, was my crew chief. And, we were both young, 20 years old, and my dad did a great job of buying us the stuff that we needed, but two 20-year-olds racing every weekend at A Speedway on Friday nights in South Boston on Saturday, went a lot of races, and that was fun. I thoroughly enjoyed that. Well, 
I was, I was my big brother's pain in the ass for different reasons. That had to be kind of hard for Hermie that, that helped you get started and seeing how, I mean, I know he's proud of his brother, but it, 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 it was, had to be a little bit confusing to him. Like, why is this kid doing so good? Well, you know what? Hermie always did a really good job of helping me. And I think one thing that helped us, Michael, with our age difference, we never had to compete really against each other. Um, in go-kart racing, he was always in a different age group. When he was in late model, I was still in go-karts. When he made it to push racing, then I made it into late models. We never really competed head-to-head. So we always spent a lot of time cheering for each other. And, and I'll go ahead and tell you this right now, and my brother knows this. If it wasn't for him, I think coming in, being rookie of the year, running pretty good, setting kind of a good name you know, for the Sadler name, I don't think I would have gotten the opportunities that, that I got. So um, – 1990, uh, say 97, 98, he and I were actually teammates at Diamond Ridge Motorsports. Now, that was neat. That was a lot of fun. But that was the first time of that competitive competition thing kind of came into play some, too. So it was a little rough sometimes around the edges. But even when I was having, you know, maybe a little bit more success than what he was having at the time and all that, he was always 100% supportive. Yeah. He, he was uh, – he probably handled it better than I would. He, he was a great big brother. Well, the, the success you had enabled you to get to Cup. And I, I'm, I'm always interested in a couple of questions. One of your favorite memories has to be winning for the Wood Brothers, I would assume. And yep. I, I already knew the, the most gut punch you took was losing that championship. Tell me about some of your favorite, favorite memories behind the wheel of a car once you made it to the big leagues. So my, one of my favorite memories, winning the very first race at Bristol, staying out on old tires, which was a mistake, by the way. Me and my crew chief spoke over each other, and I didn't know to pit. Uh, Pat Trison was my crew chief. Anyway, we stayed out, won that race, and when we won, I pulled into victory lane, and the Wood Brothers are there, and they're so excited, and some of them got tears in their eyes. They had never won at Bristol. That's all the races they had won, and Bristol's so close to their home. And then the neatest part of that is Eddie's like, look, we're coming back to the shop tonight. We're going to celebrate in Stewart, Virginia tonight. So I drove down to Stewart that night, and, man, I felt like the Grand Marshal in their home parade. All the people from – you know how close it is to Stewart and everybody. It's just a family atmosphere. And everybody had come to the shop, and they had toilet papered the whole shop, and they had toilet papered Eddie and Lynn and Kim's house, whose houses were all side by side there on, on Old 58. So it was neat to be there to experience that. Definitely a time that has stood still uh, in time in my life and in my mind to, to be able to bring a win for the Wood Brothers. That was so, so much fun. Uh, one yeah. of my favorite uh, memories as a driver, Darlington uh, running the throwback paint scheme to Dale Jarrett. Uh, one of my last years before I retired, winning the race at Darlington, I tried to win so many times, um, uh, was a big one. Two races that stand out in my mind is the biggest gut punch to me. The Daytona 500, um, 2010, I led like the last 30 something laps and rain was coming. It rained and it had stopped and it rained and it stopped. I was in the 19 Stanley car and I led and led and led and we crossed the start finish line and Matt Kenseth is running second and Kevin Harvick is running third. And I remember it like it happened last night. Um, we cross the start finish line and Harvick drifts high. Like, I mean, Matt, Matt Kenza drifts high, like he's going to pass me high. And I come off the yellow line. He goes back under me into one and he passes me. 
And then the rain starts when we come off of turn two. So I was 10, 15 seconds away from winning the Daytona 500. <clears throat> one bad move, one bad block, or too late to block, cost me a chance of winning the Daytona 500. But what people don't know, the story that people don't know, my wife was pregnant at the time with Wyatt, my first son. And we had a lot of difficulties with the pregnancy. We, we knew Wyatt had an issue. He had an atresia, uh, which means his, his intestines were, were crimped like a garden hose. And we knew as soon as my son was born, they were gonna have to have emergency surgery to save his life. So we knew all this was happening. So when you win the Daytona 500, of course, they fly you to New York and you do all this stuff. You know that you do all these different media availabilities. You go out west and you're pretty much not home. So I lost that race that night. I, I think I cried on my airplane all the way home. Well, I land at 2 o'clock in the morning. My wife wakes me up at 4.30 and says that it's time to have the baby, that she's going into contractions. So... In my life or in the way I look at things, things happen for a reason. If I'd have won that race, I would not have been home to be able to go with my wife to the hospital to when my son was born. But I lost a race and yes, it was devastating, but I was able to share that moment with my wife when my son was born and they had to rush him into surgery and I got to kind of be by her side to watch all this play out and support her when Yes, we would have won the Daytona 500, but I don't know how things would have turned out if I was not at home. Mm, that, so that's that a story I don't share a lot, but but it, it really put it in perspective for me, Michael. Yeah, that touches my heart. I didn't I didn't know that story, uh, but that says God God has a plan, and and I know there's been events in my life that I will never understand on this earth. And so I just live my life thinking that I'll, I'll know about it. One, I'll understand it one day. Yeah, I understand. I, I know, but it, you know, what, what, what I see when I see you is not always what you did on the track, but the life, the bigger than life and personality, charisma, attitude, funny, everything that you've brought to racing, not only as a driver, but also, uh, working the TV for all the truck races and all those things so many years, you brought so much happiness to people's lives that away that, that has kept people NASCAR fans. We all seem like a pulled in certain directions for certain reasons that maybe we don't always know why, but there's always a greater good for that. Well, those stories are, are amazing. I know that, um, I know that you had um, the, the wins and the race for the championship, but, but driving for Robert Yates, I mean, you, you've driven for everybody and you and I, it's funny we have a lot in common because you know I was able to drive for the Wood Brothers and I had the same emotions. Everything you felt in Bristol, I felt it in the victory lane at the oh, All Stars. Yeah, that was awesome. And then, um, and you know, just the fact that uh, we both were able to win in the trucks and the Bush, uh, all that—that's something that sort of tied us together. And um, somehow, one night in Daytona, without my spoiler, I was able to somehow. <laughs> Imagine you whooped it. me at Daytona with no spoiler. <laughs> so that was crazy because I, I, was, I, I beat you without a spoiler. And then um, before there was such thing as overtime in NASCAR at Talladega one afternoon, I'm leading the race coming to the white and, uh, or two to go, something like that. And you, you went for a heck of a ride. I sure did. Flip, flipped a few times.
flipped all the way down oh, the back way. They threw the red flag. So we, we have a lot in common. Our, our careers are not much different. No, they're not. I think we've been blessed to, to experience a lot of different emotions in this sport that we love and, and drive for some great people. The funniest thing, I will tell you my side of the story at Daytona. So my spotter was Brett Griffin, who we all know and love. You, you've known Brett your whole life, too. And he's like, look, because we were running first and second. Hey, Michael wants to make a deal where, you know, you start on the outside and you just drop down in front of him. Then y'all work together, get away. And I'm like, ah, man, Michael's right good at drafting. <laughs> Don't you think we should leave him out and then maybe he has to work harder? No, we, this will be the best thing. This is where we all work together, then y'all just pull out and get away from everybody else. These damn trucks, everybody's going to wreck. And then you made a great move off, off of turn four to win the race. So you know, I told Brett, I told Brett, I was like, dude, hey, man, we can't work with Michael anymore on these last restarts. He, he's too good at drafting. <laughs> you know what was, what was hilarious about that? And, and I, I think I, I think I came up with that idea. I said, hey, ask him if he'll do that. And my brother was over listening on the radio, and he's like, nah, I don't, you don't want to do that, Michael. And I'm yeah. like, I think, I think I do. And so the thing that was crazy is, is there, there, was, there was not bump drafting yet, or there was not pushing. Right. And I started no pushing on you, and I'm, like, and, you're, and, and I'm looking in my mirror, and we're, we're driving away from everybody, and you're not wrecking. I'm like, well, damn. This yeah. is pretty cool. We just drove away and, and one away. of us was going to win for sure. Yeah, that, that was neat how that kind of, you know, involved in our sport and came about with people learning to do that. And Denny Hamlin is one of the first people I ever saw do it, to be honest with you, Talladega. He'd push somebody to the front and then leave them and then pull down. <laughs> ah, ah. There's something to this. this. Yeah, something to this. Yeah. Well, that's a lot of racing talk. I want to know more about the kids and, and why it's turned into quite the athlete. Uh, and what's it, what's, what's it like at your house these days? I know, so, I, I know I'm really fortunate to squeeze you in because you said you had kid duty about 30 minutes from now. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to pick the kids up from school in a little while. Um, but So we, we, I'm a part of a foundation here called Top Hand Foundation. And we have 19 teams, which is baseball and softball. Uh, that we offer for kids in our area. And we have a lot of guys that help us with scholarships that we can help underprivileged kids and get them on the ball fields. We also have gymnastics. We also have cheerleading. We have after-school programs uh, and studying groups uh, for these kids in school. Uh, we do family nights for, for underprivileged families that come in and we'll feed them dinner and have movie nights and things like that. So we're trying to do everything we can uh, to, to help underprivileged kids in our area, give them a chance. They're pretty much, Michael, you don't have to live in Charlotte or Richmond or something to have an opportunity to pursue your dream. You can be from a small town. We can get you, teach you the right things uh, to, to be a, a grown man or woman and, and learn responsibilities, but learn also a craft. And if you want to use this as a platform to, to have an opportunity to go to college, then, then we, we're going to help you do that. So I have absolutely loved it. My dad coached a lot growing up. My brother has coached a lot of different sports. It's in me. I love it. I, I honestly, I'd rather be known now as Coach Elliot. I don't. Some I don't use my last name. Uh, I don't use Coach Sadler because I don't want my kids to get me confused with the race car driver. I just want to be Coach Elliot, it, and it's really neat. Um, you know, we meet with parents all the time and try to lay out plans and help some of these people get scholarships and move along. And now with the COVID-19 and the pandemic and a lot of our underprivileged kids are getting left at home more. Uh, this virtual schooling is 
is not for them. A lot of them don't have Wi-Fi. They don't have the computers. They don't have the parents at home to help them get through tough times. We, we've started a Top Hand Academy to where you can bring your kids in and we have people helping them get through some of this virtual learning because it's really bad in the area. You know, we're at, we're in a tier one area. Poverty level is very high. So we, we have to do a lot of different things to try to help get these kids the proper food, nourishment, um, stuff like that as, as well. I absolutely love doing that and being a part of it, to, to be honest with you. My wife's a school teacher, so she does it on that side as well. So we're thoroughly enjoying this part of our life. Well, that's so admirable. I know you do a lot of, a lot of work for autism awareness too. You and your brother have given so much there and certainly appreciate your charitable giving, but your heart, because what you do with your foundation, that's just heart. Yeah, I, you know, I'm so proud of my brother. Um, he does such a great job with Haley Drew, um, his daughter who has autism. And Hermie's always done a really good job of promoting awareness and talking to parents. His phone rings all the time, talking to different parents that are involved with autism one way or the other. Of course, we all have a special friend, Artie Kempner from Fox, who is always has those great fundraisers, but always has that open, opening ear, man, when you want to call him and ask him about certain situations and how things are done and how we need to do uh, more for awareness for autism. And, and my brother does a great job with that. And I kind of just follow in his footsteps. The neat part about that is, um, so I've started a race team. Here I am getting back into race team, but it's online, Elliott Sadler Esports. And uh, I have 12 guys that work for me. We have some engineers, we have some builders. We got some guys that are racing. Actually two of them have just made the road to pro. Uh, which is big, but one of them, Garrett Maines, who's from Richmond, Virginia, has autism. And he is an amazing online racer, and he's actually running the legend cars on Tuesday nights in Charlotte. And he's a kid that he's called high-functioning. Uh, but when I met with his dad and, you know, I'd raced against him online, I did not know that, that part of it. And I'm like, oh, my, this is unbelievable. So it just seems like things gravitate and pull us in the right direction. So I'm trying to do all I can to help Garrett follow his dream of becoming a NASCAR uh, driver. So um, we're working on a few things as we move forward with that. But it's the, the, the people I have met through autism through my career have been absolutely amazing. It's been great. You talk about owning an eSports team and, and back on the racing subject, Hermie has a go-kart racing team. His, his, his ownership has continued as well. Yeah, Hermie's doing a really good job. Um, he's, he's partnered up with Robin Bradshaw. If, if you're a go-karter, you, he's been building go-karts for 30 years. He works in uh, Richard Childress Racing, Richard Childress Racing in the engine shop. But during, at nighttime, he's always building um, go-kart frames and stuff like that. So he and Hermie came together, and uh, Hermie is now a, a go-kart manufacturer, and he is doing great. They have, they've had a good couple of years. They win a lot of races. And uh, I think Hermie thoroughly enjoys that part of it. And I think uh, not being in the seat, you know, you still want to have that competitive something going on. So I think that helps him with that, just like the e-racing helps me with it. And, uh, but I'm very proud of him and what he's done with his go-kart racing. Yeah, I am too. And not only his involvement with autism, his involvement with uh, your family businesses. I asked I ask him, I said, how do you find time, Hermie? Because every minute it seems to me is – his attention is on Haley Drew and his family, but yet he's able to uh, include everybody in all of his activities and, and then have maybe that go-kart race team for a little bit of competitiveness, like you said. Yeah, he, he's doing really good right now. 
you know, those last couple of years when he was, you know, a lot of times the trucks and Xfinity cars would be together and he'd come stay with me on the bus and he, he loved doing the broadcast with you and Phil and y'all had such a great time. But I think a lot of that towards the end of his career, he was missing some stuff that his oldest daughter, Cora, was doing. You know, whether she was cheering at North Carolina, whether football games or basketball games, and he was having to miss some of those things. And then when you had a rain out and he, he missed the games and stuff like that, it, I think that really tore on him. So I think to have the opportunity to be able to come back home, be involved in his daughter's lives as much as he is, especially Haley, work at home, you know, with, with, with my mom and dad, with the family businesses, he has really taken on a lot, but I think he's very appreciative to be able to do it at home and spend a lot of time with the family. Yeah, it's cool. Speaking of competitiveness, one more thing I want to ask you about. When you were a kid, you were good at everything, every sport. You got uh, recruited to go play college basketball. What, what, what was it like back then, your love for racing and your talent to play football, baseball, basketball, soccer? How, how did you balance that? Yeah, so I was very fortunate growing up to be very athletic. And I wasn't. And I work, huh? I wasn't. <laughs> I learned I've seen very, your golf swing. <laughs> I've seen your golf swing. <laughs> I learned at a very young age. I, I was going to have to make a living sitting on my ass. Sitting on your ass. I, I figured that out after I got hurt in college. I needed a sit-down job. So yeah. um, I played six sports in high school and was always very busy, but also raced on the weekends. My, my parents figured out early in life, if you kept your sons busy or kept me busy, it would keep me out of trouble. Like I didn't go to the homecoming parties or the cotillion dances or the proms. Like I didn't get a chance to go to any of that. We were always racing on the weekend and playing sports during the week. In my senior year at high school, I won most valuable player of the state of Virginia in basketball. And I was second for most valuable player of the state in Virginia in baseball. And I had uh, college, college, uh, college scholarship offers to play in both uh, those sports. And I sat in with my family and my dad's like, well, you can't play baseball because we're racing. And, you know, <laughs> baseball in college during the summer and we're racing during the summer. So I just spent all this damn money on this race car and we're going to race. So if you're going to do something, you go play basketball. So I went to James Madison University to play basketball. And I got hurt my freshman year, goofing off, goofing off in practice and had had knee surgery. And my knee never healed correctly. And I was, mar look, let's be honest, I was marginal anyway. But now losing a step, I was not good enough to really be a part of the team. So the coach gave me a year to try to rehab and get back to 100%. And I never, I never could. Uh, I, I could play two or three days of basketball and then my knee would be hurting so bad I'd have to sit, sit a week out and then start over again. And it just wasn't meant to be. So I went to my dad and I quit college. I was so down and out, Michael. I was one of these guys. And this is what I teach my kids now that I see every day. I was that kid. Poor, poor me. Poor, pitiful me. I'm down and out. You know, why is life so evil? Life is so bad. And I was that kid in college that I quit school, that if I couldn't play basketball, I didn't want to be there. And I was miserable and I was mad at the world. And I came home and my dad said, well, if you're going to be here, you're going to work. So he put me to work. So I would have a day job during the day and I'd work on race cars at night. And I went to my dad and I said, look, um, give me one year, one year to make it on my own uh, as a race car driver. You know, whatever, whether it's late model racing and I, we had like a bush car that I'd run out of Hermes shop 
if I make it, we make it. If we don't, you know, I'll come back and, and work for you in the family business. But I think adversity through all those sports and playing in school and all that kind of helped me get through a lot of the stuff that we did with racing. And I was already in shape when I got there. It wasn't like I was ever getting hot or falling out the seat. So I think a lot of that stuff I did as a kid kind of helped me get to where I was going. But definitely when one door shut, uh, the other one's open, which was good. You know, last week my guest was Brendan Gaughan. He played college basketball. And I told, I told Brendan, I said, you know, and I told her, I said this to Hermie one day too. We were, we were golfing and Hermie, he, you know, he doesn't look overly athletic. Right. <laughs> Neither does Brendan. You're today. so nice. <laughs> so one day Hermie hit a golf ball and he hit it like 30 yards past mine. I'm like, it's so weird that you, you're, you're so athletic because you, you don't look like you are. Yeah. Well, thank Funny, you. <laughs> he's hiding it in that shell he's got. He's hiding it. <laughs> but it's easy to tell you're an athlete when you whack a golf ball. Do you get to play any or are you, you, you uh, on the sidelines? So I got a great golfing story. Um, I've been playing with the same clubs five or six years. I went out to Arizona years ago and got fitted and pro clubs or golf, whatever, the cool clubs or whatever. So I decided about a month ago there's a guy in Richmond – that fits clubs but will also give you lessons. So I went over there and got some lessons. Of course, the first time he looked at my swing, I think of you sometimes, he was like, well, <laughs> we got some work to do. <laughs> and, uh, but he, he fitted me for some clubs, and my game has improved eight to ten strokes like that. So he, he changed some clubs that I was hitting. He changed the grips and changed a few things I was doing. And uh, I played in a member guest the last two weekends, and we won – two weekends ago, my cousin and I, and then last weekend we finished second in the entire tournament. Well, we won to Calcutta at both events. Ooh, which, that's lucrative. Which is very good. It paid for my clubs already. <laughs> that's so my golf, game right, my golf game right now is as strong as it's ever been, probably in the last 25 years. So I'm playing a lot. You, you know I'm an idiot. You want to see how big of an idiot I am? Uh-huh. I'm a single man, right? Right. We all know that. You walk in my front door – you ain't going to have any, any problem understanding. Oh, look at that. You're not going to have any problem understanding. There ain't no woman living around here with me. <laughs> that is awesome. Can, can you put, like, any course? Can, can't you put, like, any course on that to play? Yeah. Yeah. I got up this morning before I went to, to, uh, to work and played Pebble Beach, shot a 91 in 42 minutes. How about in 42 minutes? <laughs> we can move on and play something else. And you didn't yep. even have to walk. I'm gonna I'm gonna play the old course at St. Andrews here in a minute. Turn the wind way up. That makes no, it fun. No, I don't. I'm bad enough as it is, as you know. I think it's funny. People look at me and say, "So you really like golf, huh?" Golf is fun. Yeah. Hey, I'll tell you the biggest secret he told me when he was helping me with my swing. You will love this. He said, "Elliot, your grip is messed up. You put it in the palm of your hand too much. We want to get it more on your fingers." So. He made the grips of my clubs like three times bigger than anything I've ever had. He said, Elliot, rule number one to get a good golf swing, you put the hot dog in the bun. And I'm going, what? <laughs> so your top hand hot dog has to fit in the bun. This is the bun of the other hand. He said, that creates the perfect grip. You got to be able to make sure you hold, you can hold your club with one hand off the top of this finger and then this bone, and then you put the hot dog in the bun. So my swing thought every time before I swing 
do I have my hot dog in the bun? <laughs> There's so many directions you could go with this one, but my, yeah. my, my, I'll tell you what I'll do in about five minutes when we hang up here, I'm going to give that uh, philosophy a try right here on my driving range. His thing was make sure you can hold it off the top of your index finger. And then on this bone, you should be able to hold a club with one hand. And then you make sure the hot dog goes into the bun. Well, hot and dog. I'll tell you what, I know it sounds stupid, but it, wor it, it worked for me. Yeah. It worked for me. This guy came up to me the other day, and I could tell he's a fan. I sit in balls, and he's like, uh, you been playing long? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I have, really. <laughs> Pretty much my whole life. Ah, uh, uh, you must not get to play very much, do you? No. <laughs> no, I play. I probably play three Every day. <laughs> then he finally said, well, you just ain't that good, are you? I said, oh, you go. God. <laughs> That's nice, isn't it? Isn't that great? Man, I really appreciate you hanging out with me. I know you got some stuff to do, and I, I uh, thank you for your time. Thanks for sharing these stories. I smiled and laughed so much. It makes me happy. Yeah, good to see you too, Michael. I always love watching guys on TV do your thing, man. You make it fun for us at home, drinking beer on the couch now. Like a two-time. How about a two-time beer? Yeah, I got some beers off. i tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to start a new uh, deal here at Walter Up Unfiltered. For all my guests, I'm going to send you uh, three cases of beer. I have How about that? I have a blonde L. It's called the two-time blonde. Now, that might beg the question, like, hot dog in the bun. Does he, does he have a bad girlfriend or did he, right. did, he, did he got a good beer? Yeah. And then we have the IPA, our coconut IPA, Ooh. which is two-time checkered past. Uh -huh. Again, did he win races or is there things in there we don't want to know about? Right. Like, which way do you go when you get to the bus? And then we have our Mexican lager and it's called Vominos. Vominos. Which it means let's go. So you'd be looking for three cases of beer to show up on your doorstep as my appreciation gift to you for doing my show. All right. Well, you watch on social media. I will drink a beer and send it to you. And thank Michael two time, 500 champion, by the way, for the two time beer. Will you get one of those things that, that we're talking where you can hang two on your head? I tell you what, if I can find one like the guy in Happy Gilmore when hanging out with the thing, I'll find one. Yes, sir. All right, man. I appreciate you. I'll talk to you soon. All right, man. Thanks, Michael. Well, there's so many people, so many good people that are uh, living a good life after racing. It's so nice to hear Elliot's stories and all he's doing for his foundation, autism, and the family man that he is. So much fun listening to how it was a bit of a rough start for Elliot when he took off on his go-kart for the first time and his late model, but then chasing championships and winning cup races uh, made it all worthwhile. Thank you so much for tuning in to Walter Unfiltered. Be sure to tell your friends about us. We're on all of Fox Sports social media channels and you can check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you name it, we're there. Appreciate you listening. Be sure to tell everybody about us and go to your favorite podcast app and click Walter Fun Filter. We're going to be here every week having fun, sharing stories. Looking forward to seeing you soon. Peace.